What's up? How's it going? Like you can answer me. Why would I ask such a stupid question? Now, technically you could answer me, but I wouldn't hear you. This is Shane Raymer. Welcome to that sober guy podcast. Got a great guest today. Paul Gilmartin will be joining us. Paul is a comedian. He's the creator and host of the Mental Illness Happy Hour, which you can find on iTunes. It's a great show. They talk about anxiety, depression, alcoholism, addiction, all kinds of crazy shit that no one wants to talk about. Very good show, though. I I would recommend checking it out. You may also know Paul from TBS's Dinner in a Movie, which he did for 16 years. So we're looking forward to talking with Paul today and getting his take Send us an email, sobriety at that sober Tell us what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. If you have any questions for us, if you have a short story you'd like to share, uh, hit us up. Let us know. Say hello. www.thatsoberguy.com is the website. And leave us a review on iTunes or a rating. It helps rank the show, helps more people find the show. Uh, without further ado, let's get this shit on the road. This is Shane Raver, and you're listening to That Sober Guy Podcast on Recovery Radio. Living one day at a time for a sober, healthy, happy life. For more information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com. And now, let's start the show. Welcome to the show today. Uh, today we're talking with Paul Gilmartin. Uh, he is the creator and host of the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Paul, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was browsing through the shows on iTunes, and the, the first thing I noticed about your show was the cover. And uh, the photo did strike me, the, the, uh, the all-American, iconic... Uh, family station wagon with the new age prescription pill bottle strapped to the roof. Um, I thought that was, uh, that was kind of funny. And, um, I mean, how did you come up with that or was that, uh, was that, I did, I did, you know, I, I thought long and hard about what I wanted the title of the podcast to be and what I wanted the logo to be. Uh The logo actually came to me, came to me pretty quickly. Um, but I wanted the name of the show and the logo of the show to be something that summed up the feel and the subject matter of the show in an instant, because it's easy to get lost in the clutter of iTunes and the web. And so I thought it should be something that gave people a chuckle, but also gave them an idea of what the subject matter might be. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And it does, uh, it does definitely stand out and kind of say, say a lot about the show too. Um, you get into some pretty deep topics on the show. Um, also, um, also add some comedy to it. So that's definitely one thing I like about it to be able to talk about something so serious as, um, you know, gender disorder, anxiety, depression, a lot of the things that, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about, uh, and still able to laugh about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I think the listeners know that we're not laughing at them; we're laughing with them. And there's a huge difference. And I learned that I learned that in support groups was that helped bring it even closer to people. You know, when you share something really dark, and they would and they would laugh. Um, that that was them laughing with you because they had been there and they knew how painful and embarrassing uh, that was, and that was really freeing to 
to uh, to be able to laugh. Yeah, and not not feel like you're an alien or or alone. To know that some other people are going through some of the same things, and uh, that that you're that you're kind of not a freak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, do you want to? Um, do you want? Well, actually, real quick, uh, one of the other things I noticed too, and I wanted to kind of get your take on this is uh, you're also known for for doing TBS's dinner in a movie. Um, I, I I saw that you did that for 16 years. Is that right? Uh, so when I when I had mentioned to people that I was having you on as a guest, um, when I said, "Yeah, you know, uh, Paul, he's he's. Have you ever seen you know dinner in a movie?" And they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I love I love that, you know." And and then I would say he also does um, he also does a podcast of mental illness happy hour. And I noticed that the word mental illness people freak out about that shit. And it's I don't know if it's just is it kind of the same stigma as. I guess that's kind of a dumb question. I think it is kind of the same stigma as alcoholism, addiction, uh, mm-hmm. an eating disorder. I just noticed uh, mm-hmm. people's reactions a bit different on the word mental illness. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ignorance and a lot of yeah. stigma yeah. still. You know, fortunately, in the, in the industry I'm in and in the town I'm in, there's none. It's almost a badge of, of honor, you know, because you're the tortured artist, you know, the got alcoholic. It, got it. So I've never had to deal with with any of that, and um, it's. But I feel for people who recoil at it because they think, "Oh, you mental illness. You're the kind of person that's going to shoot up shoot up a movie theater." Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, um, if you're an alcoholic, you're always going to be drinking, and um, as, as you know, that's not the case. There, um, most of the disorders and. Addictions are manageable if you are willing to keep reaching for the tools that help and to learn how to use the tool. Yeah, I think too. That's a good point, and I I think too that maybe it's maybe it's something um, from society is just, and I guess it does consider or um, uh, depend on maybe the area too, but the stigma of all of those things, you know, the the mental illness, um, alcoholism it's looked at as a, like a bad thing. And like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not a bad person. I made some bad decisions, you know, before in my life, but, uh, it doesn't make me or anyone else who's gone through some of the similar things, bad people. And I think, uh, people tend to, uh, maybe portray people like that. I think so. And it makes me mad when I hear people say, Oh, it's not a, it's not a disease. I'd I'd love to give them an addiction for a week. So they can know (laughs) it's untreated an untreated addiction for a week. You know, with the, with the person, once they realize that they have an addiction, then they have a responsibility to, to, to do what they can to, to manage it. Um, but a lot of people don't understand what it's like to have the power of choice taken away from you by yeah. an insanity in your brain and an allergic reaction in your body. You know, there are, there are chemicals that an addict's brain releases that are every bit as addicting as cocaine or, you know, ask a shopping addict, ask, ask a love and sex addict. They're not injecting into anything from outside their body, but their brain is producing something that is very, very addicting. Yeah, guys, so it's, it's almost, it's almost un, I understand, I guess when I hear you, when I hear you say it again too, is it's understandable why people are scared of it and they don't get it. Uh, contrary to that though, what about somebody with cancer or with, uh, diabetes or something? You know, it's like this said, it's an okay thing. Uh, that guy has diabetes, you know? Okay. So, 
Uh, wow, he's he's sick, but okay, that guy he's he's an alcoholic. It's just looked at completely different. Well, you know, if three quarters of addicts didn't take their insulin and walked around falling because they lightheaded from blood sugar and didn't show up to work, maybe they would be viewed with with the same um, that people have about alcoholics. Um, but it's much easier to treat diabetes than it is to treat alcoholism. As you know, alcoholism um, requires a sustained effort. It's more than putting a shot in a day. It's support groups. It's prayer. It's meditation. It's you know living an honest life. And then that re- helps relax us. And that is the obsession to drink and use less intense. At least for me, that's been my experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of funny, uh, too, that you... Uh... It's it's not just we can't just take a shot and be good with it. People say, well, why you know why can't you have a beer? Why can't I can't just drink one beer? You know I can't do one. I wish I could. I can't. Um, and it stays with us forever. That's the thing. I'm I'm kind of uh, uh, you know I've I've accepted it for what it is, but it's in my in the back of my mind like shit. This shit does not go away. I think a lot of people think that yeah. it would go away. Okay, he's he's been sober for yeah. five years. So how many years have you been sober, Paul? Uh, 11, how about you? 11, 11. I just actually hit one year on the 11th of September. So I'm just over a year. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Thank Congratulations. You. Thank you. And uh, I mean, it do- 11 years, it doesn't go away, right? No, no, it doesn't. But you get to recognize what's reality and what's your alcoholism Yeah. more yeah. clearly because addiction is a working of reality through your own needs and your own fears and resentments. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, when you do the work and you begin to figure out what those are and then you recognize, Oh, that time four years ago when I told that person to fuck off or yeah. whatever, that that might've been your alcoholism and not, not reality. Um, but the good news about having alcoholism is that you learn to treat it, you wind up developing tools that help you outside of your alcoholism that help you in all your relationships. Yeah. Help yeah. you in your profession, help you be a more empathetic, compassionate particulate person well do you want to uh do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about your um you know your background and uh you know when when i what did i i can't remember what i read it on now but it said it, it, it you had you had said that you finally figured out that you weren't just an asshole you were an alcoholic and clinically depressed mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty funny and yeah. and kind of rung a bell with me because same thing you know i'm like what the fuck is wrong with me well yeah here it is yeah and and, and now I'm just less of an asshole. Yeah. Thank God, less of <laughs> yeah. less of an asshole. Yeah, just a little bit. I didn't. I, yeah, because I couldn't see the truth because it, yeah. it, it, it warps reality. Um, so often I thought I was just such a charming, you know, irrepressible guy, and I couldn't see that. I, you know, I hurt people. I made people the brunt of my jokes that didn't deserve it. Uh, I mm-hmm. drove drunk. I endangered people. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I, I was not a good person. My intents were always good, but, uh, well, you never, you, know, you never, just, sorry, you, you never, you never feel like you're hurting anybody else. You know, it's always me, no, me, me, see, you know? So yeah. it's like, okay. Yeah, Cause it's all about you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, when, let's see. So you, let's see, 11 years ago, did you, did you start drinking when you were young? Uh, 14, maybe. 14. And then, 
did it escalate um, at a young age or did it, did it kind of grab a hold of you as you got older? Yeah, it really became, I mean, I, you know, I certainly had bouts of drinking um, alcoholically from the beginning. Um, it's, but I was not a blackout drinker. I was a pretty happy drunk, but I needed, I needed to drink to feel comfortable in social situations for the, for the most part. Um, and, you know, maybe I quit for a year or so, but it got harder and harder to quit the older I got. And when I tried to quit in my late 30s, I couldn't. And that's when I knew I needed to, to go get help. But I originally, uh, the first place I wanted to get help was to a psychiatrist because I was so depressed. Uh-huh. And my life on paper was so great because I was hosting this TV show. I was making good money. I had recognition. Um, you know, I was booking better club dates for better money, you know, all the stuff that you wanted when you were younger and I was getting it all. And I thought about killing myself 50 times a day and I couldn't understand why. And I, you know, I look back now and it's like, well, because I didn't care about anything except my own pleasure. And that's like a diet of candy. Uh, you know, where the meat, the tails of life is, is getting and the candy is, is, is taking. And, God, and all funny. I was doing was taking. I'd never learned how to really be a truly good friend, how to be a truly good husband, a, you know, a good brother. Um, I learned all that stuff in my support groups, and I didn't know that that's what was making me depressed. Was I had no self-esteem because I wasn't doing any esteemable acts. Got it, got it. Yeah, and, the, you know, it's funny that you just mentioned that because uh, – I was listening to uh, an episode you did with Jason Nash and you had said um, you had never met anybody with material poverty or something along those lines, but the emotional poverty that we, um, that we kind of take on. In other words, just what you said, you had all your career was going well, you were making good money. Um, you know, all these things are going well for you, but you still feel like dog shit yeah. basically. So yeah, that, that, you know, what I, what, what, what I was saying to Jason was I've, I've never met somebody who was fucked up as a kid because of financial poverty. Got it, got it. But I've okay. met a lot of people who were fucked up because of emotional poverty. And um, this country seems to focus, you know, not that people who couldn't get enough to eat as a kid aren't going to have issues. Yeah, but those yeah, issues totally. rarely seem to be as deep and traumatic as, uh, you know, the the abusive parent who just destroyed their child's self-esteem yeah, absolutely and i i feel like god i feel like so many times now it's like my you know i meet so many people that my dad was an alcoholic my mom was an alcoholic my brother's an mm-hmm. alcoholic you know it's just like it's it's so at first for me i i really thought alcohol was the problem and then i realized i'm it's not really the alcohol it's me you know that was a big yeah. awakening that was a that was a, a, a big awakening um, yeah, I heard somebody say, I heard somebody say the other night in, uh, in a support group, they said, um, the good news is there's hope, there's help. The bad news is it's us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> kind of a scary thought sometimes. <laughs> yeah. We all, we all laugh. Oh yeah. Do you, uh, do you use in your stand up? I saw a little bit on your, um, on your, your website, um, I think it was some older material though, as far as, I don't know how, how much comedy you're doing these days, if you're still actively, uh, you know, doing it 
on a regular basis, but do you use a lot of um, the alcoholism, the depression in your in your comedy? No, I, I didn't because by the time I got sober, I really started uh, winding down uh, the stand-up. And I always had trouble being vulnerable on stage. Um, and I think that's why I like doing the podcast so much is because it's a safe place to be vulnerable. You're not going to get heckled. You're not... You know, you're not surrounded by drunk people, um, some of whom uh, have no social uh, graces. So it's it's much, much safer to uh, have the conversations and say the things I've always wanted to say, but I didn't know how and I didn't know where. But now on the podcast, I'm, I'm beginning to find out how, and, and, and I know the podcast is the place to talk about it in a way that uh, I'm not feeling pressured to be funny. I can be funny if I choose to, but yeah, um, you're not on the spot to, to be funny. You're able to do it kind of at your leisure. And God, let me tell you, man, you do a, you do a great job at it. I really enjoyed listening to it and it's, it's very comforting. It's a very comforting podcast to hear, um, you know, just some of the stories and, um, also the, um, the surveys, what a great idea, you know, put, put some things up to interact with your listeners and, uh, um, serious topics too. I mean, shit, like some of the things on there, I was like, fuck who, who would, who would want to, you know, your first instinct is I don't want to fucking talk about that. But, uh, yeah. ultimately, ultimately when you do God, the relief, the, the, you know, the, yeah. the stress of that, of letting that go, even just on, you know, a website or something is, is pretty damn cool. So, yeah. um, yeah, you know, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm kind of weird in that I always want to talk about stuff that's dark. I'm, I've yeah. always been fascinated by stuff that's dark. Otherwise, I don't think I could do the podcast week in and week out because mm-hmm. if it was something um, that didn't intrigue me that I was drained by, and there are certainly times when I get drained by, you know, heavy emails that I get, stuff like that, or, you know, i got to slow down on reading the surveys. But for the most part, yeah. it's something that fascinates me and um, brings me... Uh, I guess a sixth sense of comfort because I know that I'm not alone in my crazy. What do you think it is? Excuse me. What do you think it is um, about this darkness thing? Because man, I've struggled with that since I was a kid and I'm also a musician. So a lot of the music that I've written and recorded when I, when I hear it back now, it's so fucking dark and it's so like, uh, I mean, it's, some of it is, it's got, it's definitely got a good, um, you know, a good message in it, but it's just fucking dark. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a super down guy, but I mean, you, you kind of do that too. Like how, what's your take on that? Well, my take, my take was that was how I was until I got sober and unnumbed myself and began to feel a feeling other than, other than anger and cynicism. Um, that's, you know, people always worry artists, that, that get sober are worried that they're going to lose their edge. And I would say, no, man, you've been painting with two colors. And once you unnumb, you're going to have 50 colors to paint with. It's awesome. Um, it's, you know, there's nothing like replacing, uh, you know, bravado with, with vulnerability to, to give art more depth and more contrast. Cause you can always access the anger. I will never have a problem not finding, you know, not getting in touch with my anger. Um, but, uh, I, I just, it's not the predominant emotion that I feel anymore. It's, it's probably number 50 on the list of emotions that I, 
that I feel now, whereas it used to be the number one. Well, and that's like you, like you said through support groups and and really talking about things. I think just as men in general, you know, men have a hard time uh, talking about things, or at least those who uh, who've never given it a shot before. Maybe that's just kind of part of our culture or how it used to be. I, I believe it's changing. Yeah. I hope it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it is, and uh, I wouldn't have learned uh, how to do it on my. I did not learn how to do it on my own. I learned by watching men around me who were already sober, and I saw how they were able to be vulnerable without sacrificing any of their masculinity. And I realized that's actually even more masculine to be that comfortable um, in your masculinity that you can cry in front of a, a, a room full of other men. Uh, yeah, I I definitely agree with you on that. It is, and there's there's something about that that um, you can really see the honesty in it. I think in in a good cry or a good laugh or whatever, just in in that setting, a room full of other you know grown men talking about some shit that nobody wants to talk about, and that takes balls to stand up and do that. So um, you know, yeah, that I definitely uh, it's a very good point. Um. Oh man, I hear my son crying in there right now. <laughs> I have a four-month-old, so he's getting after it. He you probably. Need to, you need to. You need to pause oh, and go take care of him. No, absolutely. I w- I wouldn't do a podcast and leave him in there. My wife's in there. She's the best. Uh, best wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's she's got it. But thank you though. I I appreciate it. He's a. Uh, you he's know four- when I say when you got when you got a four-month-old, you give him a candle, some matches, and you let him go have fun. <laughs> take that, buddy. <laughs> Get yeah. your ass out there. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's hilarious. We call him Cash the Puke because he just pukes all over the place, man. I don't know what, I don't know what. Yeah. Uh, baby's puke, but he's definitely a puker. The baby's puke. Yeah, if they got a hole, something's gonna come out of it. <laughs> it's usually uh, white, chunky, or yellow. But uh, yeah, yeah, too much info. Yeah. Um, so let's see. I'm kind of looking at something. One of the things that popped into my head was how the fuck can a comic be depressed? Do you see the irony in that? And I, I this. I'm not just talking about you either. I'm thinking back to uh, Robin Williams, to Mark Lundholm, who who also was a um, friend of mine that I recently interviewed, and he clinically uh, suffered from uh, clinical depression as well. There's just some sort of irony in that, but I think, um, like you had said uh, earlier, the artist in in us, in people who are artists, uh, what is that 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 gravitates towards the darkness, towards the self-destruction, like self-destructive drinking or... I think most comedians um, are funny not because they wanted to be, but because they had to be. It's not, we're not funny because we're over, you know, we're bubbling over with joy and, you know, we're laughing. Most of us uh, have trouble laughing off stage. Um, And when we're around the right people, we can, but I probably laugh less than, anybody else I know. Um, I remember watching The Tonight Show as a kid and the comic would be on and my whole family would be laughing. And I noticed one night, I don't laugh at all. I was just studying them. And so it's like comedy became a way for me to cope. It became a way for me to get attention and to relieve stress. Because if if I could get you to laugh, then I could relax. Got it. Got it. Almost. Well, in, in, in other words, almost as a defense mechanism too, in some instances, right? No, absolutely. As a defense mechanism, you know, I was small for my age. I had glasses. Um, 
sometimes it, it saves you from getting your ass beat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's sometimes funny. Sometimes it'll also make you. Sometimes it'll also make you get your ass beat <laughs> if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person. But talk about someone's mom um, or something. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I said one time um, I was drunk and I was about fifteen, and this guy. There was a group of us, and this guy was like two years older than us. And the subject of his sister came up, and she was a peer of mine. She was in my class. And the other guys were saying how sweet Nancy was. Nancy's a great girl. And I just didn't, I didn't even think about it. I just said, oh, yeah, I'd fuck her. <laughs> Dude, like... And he, and he dragged me into... <laughs> I was just oblivious. And he dragged me into another room and beat me up. And I, I can't blame him. Um, I didn't know what I was thinking. First thought wrong. Second thought wrong, <laughs> to, yeah, but it just, just it just uh, fucking comes out though, huh? Just come, it just came on out. It just comes oh, out. Yeah, that, you know that's what, that that could be the kind of guy I was when I was drunk. That just thought about what felt good to me. I didn't think about what was the right thing to do. And getting sober now, it's much clearer what the right thing is to do. And and I often can find the strength to do the right thing instead of acting out of fear. You know, that's what I get from sobriety is choice. Yeah, exactly. And when, when people ask, you know, what, why or how you became an alcoholic or how did you know? Uh, that's exactly what I say. What you just said is that, um, I lost the control to choose if I was going to take a drink or not. Like at, at some point mm-hmm. there was just no more. I, if it was there, I could wake up and say, I'm not going to drink today. And by noon I would be, mm-hmm. I'd be drunk, you know, and that, that's yeah. a, that's a tough thing to uh, stand up as, as a man and, and face and, uh, uh, yeah. you know, through a lot of support from family and uh, different support groups, shit, uh, it's going well, but it, it, every day, you know, one day at a time, I guess that's the, uh, the old one. So you, so you have a character, um, Republican Representative Richard Martin from the 19th District of Ohio. Um, and where, where did that character come about? And I have, I have this, I don't know, I, I know that I have a feeling that you are, have some different views on politics and maybe, maybe I could find somewhere else where I can read a little bit more about that. Maybe you can let me know later or something. Um, but how did, how did the Richard Martin character come about? And, um, and it, it, do you still do it? Uh, I still do it occasionally, not, not too often, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a couple of times a year. Uh, but there was a period, uh, between 04 and 2010 where I was, uh, I was performing it a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, it came about in the summer of 04, um, George Bush was just winding down his first term and he was coming up for reelection and, I, I noticed one night I was on stage and I was not a fan of him or his presidency or the people he surrounded himself uh-huh. with. And, um, and, uh, I found myself sounding like every other comic who would get on stage and would bitch about him and, you know, turn it into a joke, but there was no, there was nothing unique about what I was saying. It was the same um, shit that everyone else was saying, basically. Yeah. Got it. Got and it, got I thought, how can I, put a different spin on this. And then, and then the idea hit me. Why don't I become the guy that I hate and do a satirical <laughs> character? Uh-huh. Because I, I, I grew up with these guys. I went to college with these guys. You know, I played golf with these guys. I know how they dress. I know their mannerisms. I know the, 
their vernacular. I, I know their opinions. Um, and I just went and I immediately knew what all the clothes were. I, I went, he's going to have, he's going to have, uh, pleated khakis. He's going to have tasseled loafers. He's going to have a class ring. Um, you know, he's going to have a shirt with French cuffs. Um, he's going to use the word gal a lot. Uh, he's going to use the word neat. He's going to use the word neat a lot. And, um, and the first night I did, and this was before Stephen Colbert started doing his thing. I so saw that. I saw that. Hadn't, people hadn't really gotten the catharsis of somebody in embodying it and doing that satire on it, um, at least around the Bush administration. And um, so I went up in an open mic night, and I didn't know... Sorry, my dog's That's barking okay. in the background. <laughs> I think my wife might be home. Um, so I um, I went to an open mic night, and I didn't know how it was going to go, because the, the, the audience was not listening to the performers. They were busy playing darts and drinking and Hey, quiet. Yeah, no problem. Get out. Get out. Get what? out. Go to another room. I'm on the phone talking. What, um, what kind of dog? Oh, uh, they're shelter much. Oh, okay. Got yeah, it. They're, they're great. But they bark a lot. My wife just got home. And uh, I didn't know how it was going to go. And so... I went on stage and, you know, immediately the, the audience kind of quieted down a bit because I was dressed like an Orange County Republican. <laughs> and um, and about 30 seconds into it, you could have heard a pin drop. And then about 45 seconds into it, I got my first big laugh when they realized it was a joke. And it was, uh, it was incredible. It was, I realized that I had tapped into something that where everybody was as angry and as cynical as I was, and here is a way for them to let it out and feel like they weren't the only ones that was going that were going crazy at the direction our country was headed. And uh, it was, you know, I like to say that it was my picket sign. I just got really creative with a picket sign. And um, so I'll still think of Richard Martin jokes, you know, like his, his, his way to deal with his Ebola uh, would be, uh, well, I think that, you know, the safest way that we, we should deal with it is we should quarantine, uh, folks in the inner city and, uh, maybe even leave those walls up after a while just to keep it, just to cover our bases. But, uh, uh, I think that'd, that'd be the thing that, that God would love for us to do because he, <laughs> he wants us to keep our, he wants us to keep our families safe because, you know, gosh darn it, we, we deserve to keep our, our gated community safe. And what is heaven? <laughs> heaven is a gated community. <laughs> Holy shit, yeah. dude. That's yeah. great. Well, that's great. And you, yeah, I'm so sure you, you got the parted hair, while, too. Uh, yeah, a, jo a joke will just hit me when I'm like, you know, I'll turn to my wife and I go, oh, I got a Richard Martin joke. You know? <laughs> I haven't got a chance to listen to uh, uh, the one I did. You did it on Corolla's show, right? Because I know he's been on your show mm -hmm. too. I saw. I was browsing around yeah. today, 
And uh, I, I didn't listen to it yet, but I got to check it out because I know that a lot of people liked it. But um, yeah, the 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 parted hair, um, <laughs> it's uh, I don't even want to fucking try to do it, but it's just hilarious, man. Homeowners to the right, uh, renters to the left oh, or whatever. Yeah. That's he, great. Yeah, Richard, Richard believes that uh, your hair, uh, everything about your appearance sends a message and... Uh, and that's why it's important to to dress like a patriot. And uh, that's you know how you wear your hair speaks as to how you how you view society. And I like my uh, I like my hair uh, uh, clearly divided. Homeowners on the left, renters on the right. Uh, you know, and then he goes on and on about you oh, know all man. the different things in his in his wardrobe but it was it was a really uh cathartic way for me to deal with what was happening it talking about it on stage as myself never felt cathartic to me like doing that character uh something about it satire can be really really cathartic like you said people are thinking the same thing but nobody knows how to express themselves other than being pissed off about it i i i feel um you know, I'll speak for myself. I know that there's a lot of things going on right now that are um, very concerning, you know, for mm-hmm. for anybody, for families. Um, you know, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is we need another character. We need a today's character, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need something to uh, to open it up because, I mean, it's a it's the same same shit with a different face, basically, in a sense today, mm-hmm. but only worse, in my opinion. But. It is, you know, so many people think that their party is the answer, and really, the the truth is, is neither parties are the answer, because they're both beholden to corporations. It, it, exactly. And once you realize that, um, it's a lot easier to stop reading the paper, because you realize that, uh, you know, money in, in politics, until there's campaign finance reform, nothing will really uh, change democracy will still be uh, run by corporations for the most part. You know, we have our moments like Obamacare and things like that, but he, you know, he's been incredibly disappointing as a, as a president. And I voted for him twice, but you know, he still hasn't, uh, you know, still, we still hold people indefinitely without trial. You know, that's an embarrassment. You know, all the drone strikes that are still going on, those things are an embarrassment to, democracy but um well i i think too that i think what's also an embarrassment is the fact that how they just straight face lie to the american people and expect uh, and, and you know a lot of people just could care less because their faces are buried in their in their phones and yeah. you know other things so they they just out of sight out of mind it's almost like uh, they're not living in a reality. It's perception versus reality. So how they perceive it is America is this great, you know, superpower, which it once, which it once was. Um, but unfortunately, um, it's kind of being dismantled from the inside out. Yeah, and they think that if you, it, it seems like the only time that they feel free to criticize their country is when the party they oppose is in charge. Yeah, you know, they feel as if you're speaking badly about America when your party is in charge. You know, is is uh, unpatriotic. Whereas, you know, carefully examining what your what your country does is the most patriotic thing you can do. Our, our forefathers. That's basically what. what they're like that, but. Uh, can I just uh, one more question for you? So, Paul, um, mm-hmm. 
what's what's one thing you're happy about and one thing you're concerned about with the direction of our country today? The thing I'm happy about is that healthcare seems to be, though it's certainly at a super slow pace, um, healthcare seems to be uh, becoming more affordable and um, and mental health, the subject of mental health is slowly becoming um, talked about more. Uh, I'm beginning to finally hear people realize that when there's a shooting, that it isn't really about the guns. It's about the mental state of the person that's doing that. And mm-hmm. did they or did they not get help? Um, you know, did we do everything we could? Because there are people that you can do everything you could for them, and they're still gonna they're still gonna hurt people. Um, but uh, we haven't done nearly enough to to make um, to emotionally educate children, to emotionally educate parents. Um, and to provide continuing care for people with with problems. Um, and the thing that I like the least, I think, is just the consolidation of power in corporations and, and the, the the power that they exert over the political process. And I, you know, I'm sad to say I I don't see that changing because you know most most high schoolers have no real idea what's going on in our country and outside of our country. Most most Adults have no idea. They have no idea the history of um, the coups that we have uh, instigated in other countries and overthrown their freely democratically elected government. Mm-hmm. That who's who's uh, you know no, interest I got you. in the line with, with with our corporate interests. You know the overthrow in 1973 of Salvador Allende in Chile. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened on that, that was their 9/11. It happened on September 11th, and 30,000 of their citizens were killed. And we helped install a guy that killed, murdered, and disposed of the bodies of tens of thousands uh, of people, any political enemy. Um, and we did something just as bad in Iran in 1953. And most people don't understand that that fed into the whole hostage-taking thing in 1979, because we installed the Shah, who mm-hmm. was a brutal dictator. Um, and we think that they, oh, they just hate us because of our freedom. That's a load of shit. They hate us because we interfere with their freedom, exactly. and then we don't educate our kids, kids about it. That, that I would like to see change. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of right-wing people that don't want something negative about America in a textbook, and they seem to win uh, when it's a school board meeting. So, um, Paul, thanks for coming on the show. Folks, I encourage you to check out uh, the Mental Illness Happy Hour. You can find it on iTunes. Uh, go to the website. It's mentalpod.com. Uh, you can also find more of Paul's stuff at paulgilmartin.com. Uh, or if you'd like to check out the uh, Richard Martin character, which I highly recommend, it's pretty fucking hilarious. Uh, you can go to askarepublican.com as well. Send us an email, sobriety at that sober guy.com. Hit us up on Twitter at five that sober guy. Leave us a review on iTunes. I would highly appreciate that. It helps people find the show, helps rank the show, so it's easier for people to find. Imagine that. Thanks again. Good night. Another episode of That Sober Guy Podcast on Recovery Radio with Shane Raymond. For more 
information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com or you can email Shane at sobriety at thatsoberguy.com. Thanks again for listening and enjoy a sober, healthy, happy life.